Well, good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing? Good? Good, good. If you don't know me, my name is Tyler Jagan. I'm the lead pastor here at River Run. And if you're new, I just ask that you just make yourself at home. For those of you who are watching online, you're probably already making yourself at home. And I'm glad that you guys are joining us um, this morning. We are at the end of our series um, this Sunday. Uh, we have been looking at this incredible gift that God has given us called grace, his, his love for us. This series is really kind of a continuation of a, of a series of series, if you will, that we've been doing all year. This year, we've been really focusing on one of our culture statements here at River Run, which is make the most of what you have been given. It's an idea that comes from um, some words from Peter that Peter wrote in his second letter where he said that, uh, that we have been given everything that we need in Christ Jesus for godly living. In other words, what he was saying was that when we give our life to Christ, when you gave your life to Christ, God gave you everything that you need to live the life to the fullest, to know God and to grow in Christ. So if you're a Christ follower... You already have everything that you need to live this life and to grow in Christ. Now, the reason why we are doing this uh, kind of this, this uh, big idea for this year is there's a lot of confusion around uh, what does it mean to grow and, and to connect with God. There, there are certain things by which we don't really necessarily know fully all the things that God gives us when we give our life to Christ and how that translates into our growth and knowing him. And there are certain things that we've kind of adopted over the time that we think that we need to have in order to grow and to connect with God, which aren't part of the things that God gives us when we give our life to him. For instance, some of those things is we kind of have this idea or this thought that, man, I can only grow and connect with God with this kind of music. I can only connect with God and grow in Christ if I have this kind of communication. I can only grow and connect with God if I have these kind of programs. I can only grow and connect with God as long as I have people that are like me in my life. And that's not true. Those aren't the things that God gives us that helps us towards godly living. Those are wonderful things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But those aren't the things that allow us to truly grow. In fact, God gives us some things that we will grow whether we have the music that we like, whether we have the communicator, whether we like, or whether we have the programs that we like, we can continue to grow. And what are some of those things that we've looked at? One of the things we looked at was the Holy Spirit. If you've given your life to Christ, God's Spirit indwells in you. Let me ask you the question. Do you make the most of the fact that God is in you? Like, all the time? Do you make the most of, of that when you're at work? Do you make the most of that when you're at school? Do you make the most of that when, when you're out and about on the boat or down at the beach? Do you make the most that God is in you? And we talked about eternal life this year. Do you make the most of the fact that if you're in Christ, you have eternal life? Do you wake up every single morning with the thought and of the reality that you are immortal? You are eternal. No matter what happens today, man, you know, we tend to forget about these things. And so we are just kind of keeping them in the forefront of our mind that we would make the most of these incredible things. And so this month, we've been really honing in on the, the fact and the reality that when we give our life to Christ, we are adopted into his family by which God loves us. And he loves us forever. Do you make the most of God's love for you? Do you wake up every single day going, man, God is, is with me. 
that I'm eternal and I know that God loves me. As Paul said in his letter to the Romans, where he wrote, um, you know, I am convinced. He uses those words. I am convinced that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Do you leverage that? When people reject you or people don't love you or people don't value you, do you make the most of the fact that you are truly loved by God? And so we're working on this this whole month to recognize that, to realize that, and to recognize that that's really what we truly need above all things. It's not, I know that God loves me, but it is, I know God loves me, therefore I'm satisfied because I've been filled with the thing that I need to be filled the most, and that is with his love. And so we've been talking about making the most of his grace, and when we make the most of his grace, we are secure. We feel a sense of secure. God's grace makes us secure, that we can, you know, walk around and go, I'm loved. I'm okay. You know, no matter what happens today, God is with me. He loves me. There's a sense of security. In fact, our greatest secure, uh, security that we need is to know that we matter, that we are loved. And God does that. He loves us. Also, that God's love strengthens us. And Paul made the argument in his letter to the people of Ephesus that actually our inner strength comes from understanding the reality of how much God deeply loves us. That's where we get our strength. We don't get our strength from being valued by other people. We don't get our strength by pulling up our bootstraps by ourselves. We get strong when we recognize how much and we fully understand how much God loves us. That's where we become strong. That's where we get our strength. And then we talked about God's grace feeds our heart. That it's his love is what feeds us. It's his love that we really ultimately need. As Justin was talking about last week from from John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the branches, you are the vine. That we are to, to be intermingled together because as the branches, you need the vine to give you the nourishment that you need for fruitful living, for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, et cetera, et cetera. That it comes from abiding in him. And Jesus said, remain in my love. It's not something that we just kind of go to God when we're dealing with some loneliness. It's not when we just kind of come to God when we're dealing with crisis. And in those moments, we should. But really what Jesus is saying, we should always be doing that. You know, and when we always do that, then we know that, man, we're having a good day. Then we know that we are loved by God. When we feel alone, we know that we can have the strength of knowing that we are loved by God, that we are always were meant to remain in God's love as much as we are to remain in oxygen. Jesus makes those things like very clear that, that our need to remain in his love is no different than needing to, to have food, to have water, and to to breathe. So his grace feeds us. That's why we make the most of his grace and why we should make the most of his grace all the time. Okay. You know, and so that way in that we become stronger by which we enjoy. We don't take for granted when things are good and we are strong to face life's difficulties because we know we're not alone and that we are, we are loved. And if you remember last week, uh, Justin kind of briefly mentioned that this idea that it's okay to be selfish with God's love. That's okay. In fact, if there's one area of our lives by which we should be selfish, 
It's in God's love. Why? Because his love is inexhaustible. His love is eternal. And why? Because we need it all the time. We cannot exhaust the love of God. In fact, God invites us to, to try to see if we can exhaust his love. We cannot do it. He will continue to love us, continue to love us, and love us. We should be selfish with that. Why? Because we need that love. Just like I said earlier, we, should be, we are selfish when it comes to oxygen. Why? Because we need oxygen. We should be selfish with the love of God. So it is true that it's okay to be selfish with God's love. But oddly enough, it's also true that it's not okay to be selfish with God's love. It's okay to be selfish with his love. It's not okay to be selfish with his love. So what are we talking about there? What are we talking about there? Kind of put it this way. When I think about God's love, I, I kind of think about two kind of illustrations. One is an illustration of a pond and a river. You fill a hole, all right? Big, huge hole with pure, perfect, wonderful water. Okay? At first, there may be some life in it and kind of, kind of grow in that, and that, that healthy water. But if there's no movement in that water, what's going to happen to all the living things within that pond? It's going to die, right? Compared to a river. A river that flows healthy, pure, beautiful water is going to teem with life. Okay? Our love... From the love of God, we were, we were to hoard it, we were to have it, but we were made to move it, to love others, you know, with others. Okay, we're not supposed to just take it and take it to ourselves. It's supposed to receive it by which we give it. And it's the receiving and the giving that gives us life. Another illustration would be like, you know, if you, you know, just put a whole bunch of, poured a whole bunch of blood in a, in a human being, but the blood doesn't move around, what's going to happen? It's going to die. It needs to be moving. You know, it needs that oxygen and those nutrients to move to the other parts of the body in order to stay alive. It's the same thing with us. In fact, in 20-something years of ministry, some of the people that I've seen are who are the most dissatisfied Christ followers, more the most cantankerous Christ followers, the ones that struggle with feeling like they, they, they've kind of you know, hit a lid in their spiritual growth and spiritual connection with God, more often than not, I find that there has been a time where their water doesn't move anymore. There was a time in their life where they received the grace of God and gave their life to God by which they were alive. And then slowly, they just kind of received it. And slowly over time, there was no movement. There was no movement of stepping out in faith to go and love somebody in need. There wasn't movement to go out and love somebody who, you know, frankly, maybe not be the most lovable person. They just receive it and they don't give it. And churches die from that. Churches can be vibrant because there's a sense of not just the receiving of God's love, but there's a giving of the love of God to one another. And as a community, as a group of people to go and love and our, serve our community, there's life in that. But when we're just about hoarding it, we will slowly die. Now, John wrote a letter. We call it first letter. First, or first letter of John, first John. And in that, he writes this passage in first John chapter four about just this whole idea of receiving the love of God by which we should go and we should love other people. It's going to begin in verse 7. So if you want to get out your, your worship guide or you want to get out your Bibles or anything like that. Um, but in this passage, what we see here is in John going on and he says this. He says, dear friends, 
let us continue to love one another. Why? For love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. And so, see here at the beginning here, he says, dear friends, Paul uses this kind of this Greek, um, basically this Greek assonance, which is this, 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 these two words where he says, agapetoi, agapomen. Agapetoi, agapomen. It's the first two words in that little sentence that he uses in Greek. Um, back in those days, in the first century, um, that Greek was kind of the, the common language of people uh, that, that people would use to write. And so Paul's writing in Greek here, and he uses those two t- terms. You can, you can hear kind of they sound the same. Agape toi, agapo men. And the, the root there you can hear is agape. And agape means, anybody know? Love. And so he uses this term. And so but basically what he uses here is basically kind of beloved love. So those of you who have been loved, those of you who be loved, love. Those of you who have been loved, love. This is kind of the, the way that he starts off this sentence. It's translated here, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Those of you who have been loved, love. It's what we are called to do. Not to hoard it, not to keep it inside of us, but to have it as a, almost like a pass-through to go and love other people. And why are we to love? Because love comes from God. And the type of love, and you got to remember, what does he mean by this? Because there's a whole lot of ideas about love in our culture. And Jesus specifically defines, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but he specifically defines it this way. A new command I give you, love one another. And he said, okay, everybody says that. But then he says this, as I have loved you. And that's how, you know, we have been loved by which then John says, we need to go and to love others. As you have been loved like Christ, so you too need to go and love as you have been loved. Anyone who loves is a child of God. And there, Paul uses the term literally, those who love are people who have been fathered by God. Kind of the, the idea here is, you know, when you are born into a family, you take on the traits of that family. You become a lot like the parents and not just the looks, but also the mannerisms and, 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 and those things. So what John is saying is that when you're born into this family, we began to look like our father. For those who have been fathered by God, love. Why? Because that's who our father is. Our father is love. He loves. So those who, who love just show that they're just being like their father. So anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. And so the word there that he uses for know, we've seen it before. John loves to kind of use this word. It's this word that in in the Jewish circles was kind of an idiom between how a male and a female know each other intimately. So in other words, what he's saying here is that anyone who loves is fathered by God, is becoming like him. And not only that, but knows God. But he's using the, the term not know and then the fact of like you have knowledge or just understanding. Like you come to a sermon and I tell you some things and you kind of go, okay, I guess I know that. What he's saying here is know, like you know, know them. You know them. In other words, you get them. You know what? I get it. I get you. I understand you. Not because of just some information, because of my relationship 
with you. Because it's in our relationship with God, is it not, that we experience God's love, his grace. And when we experience his grace and understanding that, man, we, have, we are not even close to the beauty or righteousness of God, but he continues to love us. He knows everything about us, but he continues to love us. And when we begin to really kind of recognize, wow, you keep loving me, don't you? So why do I keep trying to get love from other people and not from you when you are ready to love me all the time anywhere I go? And you keep loving me and you never reject me. I get it. I know you. Ah, and it's through that by which we then begin to feel inspired. We begin to feel moved to go and love others as we have been loved by God. And then John kind of switches it up a little bit here, all right? Kind of gets us, keeps us on our toes here because in the very next verse, in verse 9, or verse 8, he says, but anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Now again, what is the definition of love here? Love is loving the self-centered prideful, egotistical, passion-driven, pleasure-seeking, greedy individual. Us, right? But anyone who does not love as Christ loves does not know God, for God is love. Now, I know some of you may be panicking, go, wait a minute. You know what? I don't know if I love like that because I know people in my life and I don't know whether I really love them or not. Does that mean I don't know God? Now, this is a layered deal. That doesn't mean you don't know God or have any kind of relationship with God. What it means is when we don't fully love the way that Christ loves, it means that there are pieces of God that we don't really get. We don't really understand. We don't really fully understand the magnitude of his life. We may be intellectually, but maybe not from our own personal relationship or experiences with him. Because John is also saying, if we really knew God, if we really knew what it means that God is love, then we would just automatically love the way that he loves. And the fact that we don't love the way that he loves, there must be something about God that yet we still don't quite understand or we still don't quite get or trust. We're kind of holding back. Because one of the things here is about God is God is love. It's funny because it's interesting because when we think about God, we think about how God is loving but God is love. It's who he is. It's part of his DNA. And you say, why does God love? Well, it's because it's who he is. Did you know when you think about God, God's making us into the image of him who is love, that God ultimately is not trying to make you and me more loving, okay? He's not, that's not his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal really is to change our whole internal DNA in our hearts by which we are just love by which people would say why do you love them I don't know it's just who I am I don't know it's just God just compels me to do that it's just who I'm becoming so when I when I love it's just a manifestation it's just a showing of my changed DNA that I'm changing inside I'm becoming more like God because it's just who I am you know, that I love not because I'm trying to get something in return from them. I love not because of whether they're good or bad or whatever. I just love because that's who I am, because I'm becoming like God. Why? Because that's what God does. 
Because if God just loved when we are good, guess what? None of us would experience the love of God because none of us are good. But God is good and he continues to love. Why does he continue to love on us? Because it is who he is. And the more that we begin to understand who he is, how he functions, why he does what he does, the more we understand his love, and the more we begin to kind of conform to his image of being people who are love. And so John goes on and he defines that a little bit more tightly here in verse 9. So God showed this, all right? So he practically shows us what love is. He didn't just say, hey, go on love, you know, love. And we're all kind of like, what does that mean? And what does that even really look like? Well, God, John says, well, God showed us that. He showed us how much he loved us. By what? Sending his one and only son. Now, kind of grapple this with your mind to understand a little bit more of the love of God. Now, he sent his one and only son. So the idea here is the most precious possession of God is his son. Those of you who have kids, you love your kids. How many of you guys are willing to give up your kids, have them be slaughtered for a bunch of other self-centered, greedy, pleasure-seeking individuals? That's what God does. His love is so immense that he sends his most precious possession to bring us back into a relationship with him, to shower us with his love. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul says, kind of says it like this. He says, you know, that him who gave his one and only son for the sacrifice of us, will he not give us all things? If God has given us his only son, his most prized possession, everything else we have is, is less than the prized possession. So if he gives us the prized possession, won't he give us everything else that we need? Absolutely, absolutely. And ultimately, the prized possession of Christ is exactly what you and I need as our prized possession, which is a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ who's the manifestation of God and his love by which we experience God's incredible love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his most prized possession into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Now, this is understanding. This is important because John uses this verbiage also in the gospel, in his gospel, in his writings of Jesus's life, this eternal life. And the, the idea here in the Greek is not just like we won't die, you know, that we'll just kind of keep living on forever and ever. What he's talking about, the words that he kind of uses is more of this idea of this fullness of life that goes on forever. That Jesus Christ died so we could have the fullness of life forever. And if you are to read scripture and kind of read through that, you will see the forever life that leads to the fullness of forever life is that intimacy of a relationship with God by which we make the most of every single day. That's what makes us filled. So that we might have this incredible fullness of life forever through him. Through the blood sacrifice of God, or of Jesus Christ, who is God, through the blood sacrifice of God. So it's through that, but it's also through that relationship. That it's, it's tied into that relationship that we have with God. And so he goes on in verse 10. He says, this is real love. Okay, 
If anybody ever wonders what is real love, this is real love here. Not that we loved God. In other words, we didn't love God by which God responded to that in kind. In other words, what John is saying is we didn't love God. We're wrapped up more in self-love and loving ourselves. And even the way that we go and love the world, we love the world based on how we judge that other human being. Are they worthy of my love? Do I get something in return from them? Well, John goes on and says, that's not real love. That's a tainted kind of love. A real love is a love by which is completely and utterly graciously initiated by God. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. He was the initiator of that love. You know, we offend God. And if God works a lot like us, God would be, be kind of like this. You know what? Uh, I'm not going to talk to them until they say I'm sorry. And if God was going to sit around and wait for us to say I'm sorry to him, he'd still be waiting for us, right? But what does he do? Who broke the relationship? We broke the relationship. Who took the initiative to mend the relationship that you and I broke? He did. That is real love is what he's saying here. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his sons as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So again, he didn't take it, you know, he's not, Jesus didn't come into this world because we were loving. We came, he came into this world because we are sinners. And so he took the initiative out of his love to sacrifice his life for the forgiveness of our sins and to bring us into a relationship with him. And guess what? This is where it gets really hard and challenging because John is basically saying that that's how we love. And when we don't love like that, then we really don't know God. And that's when we kind of go, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I don't really know God. Now, you may have a relationship with God. That, again, like I said, it doesn't mean you don't know anything about God, but it may mean that maybe we don't really fully understand the depths of God's love and what that means. And it's hard, right? I mean, it's hard. We're all kind of a mess, I think, when it comes to love. I mean, think about it when it comes to when, when we hurt other people or when other people hurt other people. And, you know, God is kind of stuck in this middle where we get mad at God because like, we read scripture and stuff and we see what God does. And we get mad at God and we're like, golly, that was really harsh. That was really mean. Why would God, why would God do that? And then we'd see like where God doesn't seem to be doing anything and horrible things are happening to other people. And we're like, going, where's God? So we want justice, but we don't want justice, okay? And so then we're all kind of confused. How does love kind of work within all of that chaos within justice? Well, we know that God does everything out of love, right? Even when God does justice, he does it out of love. Scripture says that God even is a consuming fire. He consumes and fires uh, with fire sin, eradicates it, okay? Why does he do that? Out of love. You say, wait a minute, that doesn't feel loving. Well, yeah, it doesn't feel loving when you're, the, you're a sinner, when you do, you know, selfish things. It's that self-protection. But love basically says that sin and sinners need to be completely eradicated because to, to not do that is not love because it's allowed injustice to go unheeded, Right? Where's the love when you just let justice go by the wayside? But here's the thing about the God who is love about justice. 
He's a consuming fire because he is love. But the one who's also a consuming fire out of love is also the savior of the world who comes into the world out of love to save us from our sins. Kind of the weird dichotomy of God. He takes care of justice because he has to. To not take care of justice is not right. It's not loving. So he takes care of justice. The thing is, how does he take care of justice? He doesn't take care of justice on me. He doesn't take care of justice on you. He takes care of justice on his son. So that we can have eternal relationship with him forever. That's love. That's what we are called to do. And when you say, how in the world do I even do that? It's a great question. It's, a, it's a, something that every single one of us in this room is gonna need to process and to kind of work through in our own lives. But that's why we abide in Christ. That's why we continue to sit at the foot of Christ and we say, teach me, I am your disciple. Love me, help me to understand how deep and how wide and how, how huge your love is. Help me to, to see other people through the lens that you see them so I can love the way that you have loved me. God, that I would be selfish with your love by which then I would be selfless with your love into the lives of other people. And that's a process because there are people in our lives who have wounded us, who have hurt us, who we don't really feel like we really want to love them. And that's a journey. It's a journey of kind of taking our roots out of that person that, that we demand or we expected love from them and they did not and they withheld it from us or they damaged it and they used it and abused us with that. It, it's a process to uncling ourselves to that. And it's another process to put our roots down into Christ and to begin to trust him that your love is all that I need. That your love is the healing salve that my heart needs. And it's a process by which when he loves us and begins to help us to grow in that, to step out in faith and to begin to go and love other people even when they don't deserve it because now we're not loving to, because people deserve it. We are loving other people because we have been loved. And now we're beginning to love other people because that's who God is making us to be, that we're just kind of becoming love. And it's a process to how to work that out and what does that look like in a broken, fallen world? No easy answers to that. But the one thing, instead of us just kind of trying to figure that out on our own, we should be trying to figure that out in our own lives, boom, with the one who fills our heart, the one who loves us, to help us to go through that process, the one who takes away our sins. And so John goes on in verse 11 here, he says, so dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. That's what makes us thrive. We thrive because we are loved. We, are th we thrive because we do love. And again, let me just really careful that say this. We love because we have, been, we have loved. 
We do not love in order to receive love. If we are trying to receive love from other people, one of the things I've kind of learned in my own life is I recognize that I'm putting my roots down into somebody else. I'm trying to get their approval. I'm trying to get their love. I'm trying to get them to value me, which means I'm trying to get something from them that I should only be getting from Christ. Because what am I going to do if they don't give it to me? I'm going to die on the vine. And even when they do give me something, it's nothing compared to the love that we receive from God. Take that root out. We put that root back into Christ. And through that, we love one another. In verse 12, he says it like this. In in this little passage here, he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to the full expression in us. Jesus said it like this. It's called the high priestly prayer. It's right right before he was going to, um, you know, be beaten, to be flogged, to deal with the gross injustice, to be uh, humiliated, made fun of, go to the cross. Before all of that, that night, in front of a group of people there that were about to run away from him once the heat came, he said to them, and he, he began to pray to the Father before them. And he says, may they be one as you and me are one, Father. I and you, you and me, may they be in us. That they would be in complete unity so that the world would know that you sent me. How does the world know that Jesus Christ was sent into this world? They know that he was sent into this world when we began to look like Christ, who's the image of God, by which the world sees in us people who are love. The manifestation to our culture is that we are people of love. And we, are, we don't let the hippies define who that is. We don't let our self-centeredness define who that is. We don't let the, the radio define who it is. We let Christ define who that is. And it's defined by we love no matter what because even if the world does not love us, we continue to love because we don't live for the world's love. We live out of response to the love of Christ. And when we do that, the world will go, oh, that looks different than the way that I've experienced love in this world. That seems more deep and profound. Why do you love me? I don't know. I just love you because that's, because God is fortunately and graciously making me more like him. And now we begin to manifest that out into the world. No one has ever seen God. So how does the world see God? Through our love. I'm, I love miracles like the next person. And I love it when God does miraculous things. But I tell you what, the number one miracle in Scripture, the number one miracle in Scripture that authenticates the greatness of God is when sinners love like Jesus. When there's transformation in our lives by which people begin to experience Christ through us. Not because we have anything within us to make that happen. We are just passing through the love that we received from God. Heavenly Father, First of all, I thank you so much for the grace that you have poured out onto all of us. You know, why did you do that? 
Well, it wasn't because of anything great or anything amazing about us. You did it because you are love. And through that, you sent your most precious possession, if you will, your son into this world. And not just to come and hang out in this world with a, you know, a bunch of broken people like us, but to sacrifice, to have him be a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, to give up his life. That you, God, the all-consuming fire, consumed your son rather than us. And that's a humble thing to think about. You love us so much, God. Father, I pray for all of us in here. We know you, but we don't know you. It's kind of one of those things. We believe, but help our unbelief. So Father, I ask that as we just continue on in our journey with you, our journey of life would be a journey of leveraging our life with you and to know you and to know how deeply you love us and, and that we would be people who would step out in faith and allow you to pass through your love into the lives of those around us, God. And when we don't, I pray, God, that you would just inform us of what is it that about you that we don't believe or understand or we're not trusting in you? What is it or who is it that we are putting our roots down into rather than in you? And in those moments, God, I pray that your spirit would remind us to, to pull up roots and put it right back into you and allow us to love you by which fruit would come out of our lives, by which would be an expression of your love and blessing to the people around us. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.